Health 101 is brought to you by the Metro Omaha Medical Society and its physicians, and we want to give a huge shout out to Boys Town National Research Hospital for its support. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Health 101, the podcast brought to you by the Metro Omaha Medical Society. I'm Carol Wang, and today we promise it's not going to leave you depressed, but we're going to talk about depression because it is a topic that it affects someone you know, it might even affect you, and we're going to really talk about what that means. Um, Short-term, long-term, chronic, and everywhere in between, we're just going to see where the conversation goes, but I hope it really gives everyone a thought about mental health. Um, This is kind of our first toe dip into mental health, and that's a huge can of worms to go into, but I think it's so important, and we really need to have a open and honest discussion about depression. And so, here we go. And Matt Doberton, who is at Doberton, who is a psychiatrist, as well as Bill Lowndes, who is a family practice medicine doctor, joining us to talk really about where it is on both the extreme and the and and the everyday versions of depression. And so, Matt, let's start with you because I think let's do the big tent introduction of depression. I hear people who are depressed because of seasons, lack of sun. I hear people who are depressed because of postpartum, those incidents versus just a pessimistic outlook. So when, so what should I think about when I'm thinking about depression? Because it's not just a chronic everyday long-term. It can be short and episodic too. Yeah. Actually, depression itself, to have clinical depression, it's got a lot of names, clinical depression, major depression. You have to have an episode, and the episodes can last a long time. On the short end, it's about two weeks uh, to meet criteria for it, but really they last in adults nine to 12 months, even in kids, even in kids from uh, six to 12 months. You know, uh, we have these criteria, these nine symptoms, uh, sleep's affected one way or the other, uh, withdrawal or a numbness, we call anhedonia, Um, guilty, hopeless, helpless feelings, Uh, obviously a low mood, obviously a low mood, uh, low energy, uh, decreased concentration, also sort of this agitated or slowed physicality called psychomotor uh, agitation, depression, and suicidal thoughts and suicidal statements. Um, That said, um, those are the symptoms of depression. Uh, There's a reason there's a cutoff of five symptoms. Uh, If you're talking pure major depressive episode, go to the hospital, major depression. if somebody's suicidal and has five symptoms, that's that's going to be in the cards. If they have a low mood, especially if it's from something that recently happened, that doesn't necessarily mean it's depression. Um, so if people want to anchor on something, anytime somebody's talking about suicide, or even just if things would be better for everyone if I wasn't around, that should be a red flag. I think people mostly know that. Um, it can be different in kids. Kids can be uh, agitated and uh, not necessarily just like, sad and slowed down, but they can actually get a little aggressive, uh, especially younger kids. Adolescents uh, look more like adults with depression. Um, but, uh, if it, you know, if it's a couple days and something, they somebody just lost their job, they, they're getting divorced, something like that, as much as it can be bad and affect their life, it's not necessarily major depression. So, so then, Bill, I, I would guess that primary care physicians see a good chunk of what I call the everyday depression variety, of which a prescription drug might be the the answer, or um, you guys kind of get the frontline common out, common versions of depression. So when is it you want a patient to come to you and say, I'm not feeling like myself? 
Well, certainly anytime somebody is feeling that way, it's, it's oftentimes hard for them to either recognize it or admit it. And that's why in family medicine, there's a big push to screen for depression in, in our patients, particularly at their wellness visits. But uh, ideally, we'd love to do it every visit. Uh, so when somebody is coming to family medicine, we deal with depression day in and day out, both in terms of obvious uh, somebody's depressed and, and is either in treatment or needs treatment. But we also deal with a lot of people with somatic complaints. People are coming in with headaches or back pains or body aches. And it often takes two, three, four visits before it's really sorted out to say this is a consequence of their mood issue instead of a primary problem. So the physical response to the depression is the driver for a lot of visits. And is it the patients actually know that it is or is it that they don't want to talk about what's the real underlying issue? I think the majority of the time is people don't recognize it as part of, the, of, of a mood issue. Uh, and, and if they do, it's much easier and safer for them to call in and say, I want to see the doctor for a headache than it is to say, I think I'm depressed and need help. When do you want your patients, because you have that long-term relationship with these patients, when do you want them to say, I think it is something? Is it a week to two weeks, kind of like Matt was saying? Like, Is it a just a general discomfort level? Well, by definition, we look at that two week as, as something, as, as if it's longer than two weeks, that, is that really truly a situational uh, mood issue, or is that getting into be uh, more of a clinical depression that needs treatment? Uh, but certainly, if somebody is is having the symptoms that Matt talked about, uh, and it's progressive, and it's uh, not uh, uh, responding to the usual uh, uh, activity changes, uh, if it's been going on for more than two weeks, uh, we do want people to recognize that as a possible depression and come in and talk to us. When does it need psychiatric intervention, Matt? So psychiatric intervention as in a psychiatrist yes, or psychiatric probably more of a okay. psychiatrist intervening versus, you know, uh, family medicine. A family medicine. When so, does it elevate? Right. Okay. Well, that is a bit of a gray area. Um, I think it's safe for people to talk to the doctor they know better. That's who they're going to approach. Uh, so family medicine, or in my case, is a child psychiatrist, pediatrics, who we work closely with. Um, and usually we get information from them, but if parents are really concerned, it can be if they just have a concern for depression. Oftentimes, child psychiatrists see people who have complicated depression. So depression plus anxiety, maybe severe anxiety like OCD, depression that could be bipolar disorder, uh, depression with psychosis, which can still be depression, but it scares people because there's um, perceptual things like hallucinations. Um, so a good cutoff is to see family medicine pediatrics and ask them because you already trust them. Hey, do I need to see somebody else? Um, and if they're taking medication, because the front line for psychiatry is not psych psychiatrists. The front line is pediatrics and family medicine. So if someone's already getting uh, psychotropic medication like Prozac, or sertraline, Zoloft, or something like that. Uh, and they have a therapist already, um, you know, that can be started with family medicine or pediatrics. Um, it's really sort of comfort level of the family, of the individual, if it's an adult. 
and of the primary provider. So, Bill, when do you want to hand off someone? You know, when does it, you go, yeah, this might take a little more dual diagnosis. It might take a little more intervention. I, I think that uh, from a primary care standpoint, both pediatricians and family physicians are well-trained in the, in the primary care of, of mood issues. Uh, I think all of us have uh, uh, in their back pocket no one or two, three different medications that they use regularly that they're comfortable with and, and uh, uh, start using them. I think that uh, family medicine uh, for a while was getting away from treating the, the kids uh, because of the black box warning on some of the medications. And, and uh, I think that's now reversing, which I think is beneficial to... Thank God. <laughs> I think it's beneficial to the whole system because yeah. we can't overload our, our, our psychiatry friends. Uh, so I guess when I look at a patient and if they've failed what I normally do, if we've used dual agents, if... And, and the hard part is getting them to be willing to be involved in the cognitive behavioral therapy that we try to get them into uh, and, and a dual approach with medication and therapy. If they're exhibiting uh, unusual behavior uh, and, and mood issues, uh, so those people who are not responsive to, to the usual care and those who have um, uh, more of whether it's the psychosis, whether it's the bipolar, hypomania, mania, a combination with depression, that's where we kind of say, please help. Can we talk about expectations and can we talk about treatment plans and longevity of time to get you on stability maybe? Because I think um, when I've heard from people who have um, depression, sometimes they say that first prescription, that fixed it right away. I, you know... Nailed it. Got it. I'm good. I, you know, take the one pill a day and I'm good. And then there are the people who you hear about six to eight months, they're still trying to regulate a certain sense of normal, you know, trying to get, I don't know if the word is the levels right to get where they're supposed to be. So when you are going down this road, what should you have as a patient for expectations for feeling better, for when are you supposed to allow time for the drugs to work? Yeah, so um, there's a shift going on now with some treatment for depression, but a, a lot of things do work despite, um, uh, I think, a, a lot of people's current understanding of depression. If you have, if you're new to it, if uh, um, if it's an adult with the first episode of depression or adolescent with first ep episode of depression, Medicines do work uh, at a rate that's debatable, but at a rate 60-70% of the time for the first episode of depression. Of course, if it happens over and over again, the thing about um, untreated depression is it sort of lays down tracks and can become more chronic. And uh, there's a little bit of patient blaming, I think, that goes on because uh, antidepressants such as the SSRIs such as uh, Prozac, Zoloft, um, uh, Paxil, and Celexa and those kind of medications, they're slow to work. Partly because of how they work, it's not just uh, uh, leveling out uh, uh, neurotransmitter levels in the brain. There's actually some uh, processes that, that uh, involve uh, uh, neurogenesis and, uh, and memory and uh, physical changes, good physical changes to the brain. But they're very slow. So you're talking about improvement uh, in a month optimistically, and you have to take the medicine every day. 
Um, you miss a day with most of the medicine and you can slip back into depression. If you're on a medicine for years and you stop it, uh, it can cause depression depending on the dose. So uh, it's hard to do that. I know doctors are one of the populations of patients that are the worst about taking medicine. So we try to be, I think child psychiatrists generally try to be a little cautious about not blaming people for poor medication compliance. It's a problem with the current system. There is some new medicine that's being studied now that has good data, but uh, it's just coming along. Uh, Spravato, I won't go into that. I'm sure Jansen would love me to go into that, but I'll just leave it alone. But there are some changes going on. It's not just with treatment, but also with understanding um, what's going on at the brain level with uh, fMRI, structural and functional MRI research, research to show uh, structural differences with people who have uh, chronic depression, at least for sure, and also how the brain functions a little bit differently when you are depressed with, uh, I see the goal being ultimately, how do you change that uh, with, uh, uh, you use the basic science and then look in the future about what's going to now change that imaging, what's gonna now change those tests, and then we can test it and see. So it opens up a lot of new avenues, but um, if they're naive to it, I think you can expect with appropriate treatment of just uncomplicated major depression, uh, four weeks, you're going to get some benefit, but you don't look at it as I'm going to be happy. That'll sink you. There's no medicine that makes you happy. That's legal and safe. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but you do look at things like sleep and appetite, uh, social withdrawal, you know, and those things improve in the majority of people. I like the way you, you talked about expectations, and I think uh, uh, particularly in our world as primary care providers, setting the expectation is, is key. Uh, we don't have magic medicine. We don't have happy pills. Uh, and uh, I would agree that four-week time frame for kind of the what we would call run-of-the-mill uh, clinical depression is, is kind of a good ballpark. Uh, some of the ways we also approach it is uh, – uh, there's a tremendous uh, familial tendency for, for mood disorders. And, and if a family member who has experienced depression and has had success or not uh, with certain medication, that's good to know. Nobody walks into our practice with a big sign on their forehead and say, I will do best on this medicine. Now, there are some emerging you know, uh, biologic uh, screening and genetic screening, I don't think that those are anywhere near uh, where we want them to be in terms of being able to to, to personalize uh, uh, medication choices. No, no, but they have been beneficial. That was actually part of my training. I, I look at them like pharmacogenomic testing, like he's talking about GenoMind and GeneSight are two of the big groups uh, locally. Um, they can help with... Um, guiding medicine choices as long as the physician is following guidelines, I think, to look at what's going to be um, digested by the body normally. You don't want something that's going to speed through their system. It's going to be less effective. You don't want something that's just going to hang around a long time. They're going to be more likely to have side effects. But it does not tell you what's going to work. Whereas with family, especially parent, that's genetically closely related, it could be 8, 10 genes associated with whatever condition, uh, but it's a 50-50 shot if the parent had a success that the kid's going to have a success with it. It's something we definitely consider. And pharmacogenomics is a big part of child psychiatry. And the other part of setting the expectation is talk about side effects. There are no medications that we take in this world that don't have both good effects and possibly bad effects. And we have to talk them through that. What 
they might expect and how we would maybe deal with them, whether it's just given a little bit more time or if, if there's significant side effects, that medication may not be the right one. Let's talk about other choices. And that does us a big favor in psychiatry because people think of psych meds, they think of some scary dystopian sci-fi movie they watched, you know. They don't think of the fact that overall things like sertraline and fluoxetine are, uh, I would say, a lot safer than some over-the-counter medicines like Tylenol, you know. It would take quite a lot of work uh, for somebody to end up with a liver transplant from their antidepressant they're taking normally. Uh, you know, Tylenol has a peak at which if you go over that point, you're going to be in the hospital. So uh, people got to consider, you know, uh, it's medicine just like any other medicine. Um, and everything is a risk. And, and that's how I tr try to present it, especially to parents. This is risk-benefit. Here's why I think, if I'm recommending it, that the benefit outweighs, outweighs the risk. And I would also say that um, something that is absolutely key, even with the first episode of major depression in terms of prognosis, that can also help along the way to show them uh, uh, improvement quickly is psychotherapy. And uh, cognitive therapy has been around since the 50s, but it wasn't really mainstream until the 80s. And we've advanced from there. There's a lot of good uh, psychotherapies that have showed uh, serious effectiveness in every condition. So uh, that's usually where I start. Do both. Do it right. If this is my kid or my family member, I would do both. Ideally doing both. And we have uh, people that come to us and once we make the clinical diagnosis of that uh, this is a depression uh, and, and talk about what the treatment options is, you know, we do have a lot of patients that say, I really don't want to take medication. That's fine. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, if it's if it's an appropriate choice, and we have a lot of wonderful opportunities in our co community, and most of the uh, the major employers in our community have employee assistance program, EAP programs that we can get plugged into as well. Yeah, when you're talking about having to do medicine, uh, obviously the complicated stuff we talked about, if it's actually bipolar disorder, if they have psychosis, if there's other things going, on, you need to consider it. But again, purely depression. You have to do medicine if the person if it's severe if the person's suicidal, um, uh, but it doesn't become a forever thing unless you've had three or more major depressive episodes severe enough to go to the hospital. So, uh, you know, you don't necessarily need medication. This episode of Health One Hundred and One is generously supported by Boys Town National Research Hospital. When children need life-changing medical care, Boys Town National Research Hospital is here to help. Here, you'll find 19 pediatric specialties and the region's leading doctors providing diagnosis, treatment, and management for complex medical problems like epilepsy and other neurological conditions, cleft lip and palate, mental health, thyroid, and digestive disorders. Choose Boystown National Research Hospital for life-changing care for your pediatric patients. Boystown National Research Hospital is here to help. It's not a chronic condition to be managed for the rest of your life in terms of medication necessary if it's not. Unless it's already chronic. chronic. Right. And uh, it really, the medicine is indicated for moderate to severe depression. So if it's mild depression and still depression, psychotherapy is fine if you find a competent psychotherapist. There are many here in the community. What do we know about genetic factors? What do we know about diet, exercise, all those things that... We know genetics play a lot into anything that anyone presents themselves with. Um, but I feel like there's this growing discussion about your diet, your exercise, your lifestyle that contribute to every major disease in America and every major. So does it factor into 
mood disorders. I like, I like Bill's answer earlier <laughs> on this. I'll let him take this. <laughs> uh, there, there are good studies out there that talk about the DASH diet, which stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop High Blood Pressure. It's just a healthy way to eat, but they compared people following who have depression, diagnosed with depression, following a, a dietary change versus uh, taking a medication. And in some studies, they're, they're equivalent to each other. So no matter what we do, I think we, we have to take a, a, a multifaceted approach. Uh, part of that also is uh, getting the buy-in from the patient uh, to make sure that they understand what we think is going on. And, and I tell my patients that I look at depression no differently than if somebody had high blood pressure or diabetes, or thyroid disorder, it, 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 it's, a, it's a condition that's there, and we can, we can make things better. Setting up the expectations, and then uh, uh, moving forward with, you know, as healthy of a lifestyle as possible. Alcohol re- restriction, uh, the, the dietary part, the exercise part, all make a tremendous amount of uh, uh, difference when, when people are getting better. And I would say um, along those lines, I, I think it probably definitely def- depends on severity. And uh, if someone's following a healthy diet, it's so an all-around diet with a, a DASH diet, it's so low salt, high vegetables. Yeah, 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 that's going to help tremendously. I think a lot of people have a vitamin D deficiency that's uh, underdiagnosed, which obviously plays a role when there's a less sunlight after daylight savings uh, switch. Um, but just having the nutrients you need to cut down on inflammatory markers in the body that have been directly tied to depression. Um, exercise has been shown to help with depression, anxiety, a lot of difficulties in, in mental health. Good sleep, especially this year, there's been a lot of good data about sleep and dementia and Alzheimer's and plaque formation, uh, but uh, well known to affect everything in mental health from schizophrenia and bipolar disorder to depression. So I would say um, that's definitely a great place to start. Uh, alcohol also is a known inductant of depression. It's also a factor uh, that we consider seriously when worrying about possible completed suicide in the near future. It increases the risk tremendously. So for a lot of reasons, good diet, I think, can help with uh, uh, mild to moderate depression. When it becomes severe, you've got to be serious. For you, Matt, you've got a lot of children and parents who are anxious because they want to know is this something my child will outgrow? And I think that's, there's a lot of childhood things. Will you outgrow this? Um, do you find that for most of the mild to moderate depression, there is a, is there an outgrowing from a child perspective? Um, yes, sort of. Uh, again, it depends on how many times they're depressed. You have to really be concerned about chronicity. This is where psychiatrists, I think, make be perceived as as aggressive with medication sometimes. If I have someone that I'm seeing who has already had two episodes of major depression by the time they're 14, I'm going to be pushing, you know, because um, to be real about it, major depressive disorder can cause you to lose a job, uh, to lose a uh, marriage, uh, and uh, to lose your life ultimately. So med-free is an, it's an important thing, and it's a possibility. Um, if you are able to see that it's happening with your kid, with your teenager, for instance, or with a a younger child, and you get the support that they need, whether it's just psychotherapy um, or psychotherapy and medical treatment. uh, Yeah, it's something that they don't necessarily have to have treatment forever. Yeah, definitely. Mental illness still has the stigma. I think people will talk about a lot of different things, but mental illness and is still maybe the place where 
not not a lot of people want to admit things out loud uh, about it. How do we overcome this? How do we how do we get honest about the fact that depression and and people call a lot of different things? And I think the vocabulary is really tough because you know someone asked me the other day, well, is anxiety the same as depression? Because I feel like I get the same type of symptoms. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, they mm-hmm. kind of similar, and they, so they but I can go be hand in hand I can go so I'm just anxious, right? I'm not depressed. Yeah, well, but it makes it much worse and more dangerous. So I often present it to people that there's two sides of the same coin and definitely with unsupported, untreated, and again, possibly just with uh, psychotherapy, with changing your lifestyle, with getting rid of a substance, especially depressants such as alcohol, uh, whatever, uh, you may not develop that uh, the other side of the coin. But once you have severe depression or just clinical depression and an anxiety condition, the risk of suicide increases greatly. So uh, the way you get rid of stigma is doing things like this, where we talk about it in the open. And unfortunately, you know, very public suicides and very public mental illness in the last three years, if there's a positive, it's that people are talking about it. And I think uh, there's a push within uh, the American Academy of Family Practice and the AAP for pediatricians to to be more active screeners. Uh, Not only does it identify cases that need to be identified, but it hopefully normalizes those questions and makes it easier for people to recognize. So I'm going to ask a normalized question because I ask this of everyone who works in in diseases. Is there a cure? Where is the longevity? You know, we're all looking for cures these days. There's lots of research going on to cure diabetes, to cure cancers. Is depression going to be curable someday? Where is that? I think yes. Really? Mm -hmm. And is it pill? Is it? Oh, no, 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 no. People aren't a Petri dish. (laughs) It's going to be the whole thing. It's going to be. So, okay. So one thing that uh, I definitely wanted to mention while we're we're here and talking about this is the um, sort of talked about but never dealt with issue of bullying with adolescents and how it greatly increases the risk of suicide in teenagers, which is the second leading cause of death in adolescents. And we've had a lot of suicides in this city in just the past year. Uh, and uh, that has to be addressed. You can't just look away from it. You have to talk about mental illness. You can't look away from it. It's going to involve basic science such as fMRI and uh, neurobiological studies, MEG studies, uh, and uh, pharmacogenomics, uh, neuropharmacological studies. It's going to involve a little bit of everything, and ultimately, uh, I had a pediatrician ask me, how do you fix suicide, and I was conscience enough at that moment not to be flippant but i said basically you have to change american culture but uh that said one episode of depression can be treated to the point that you don't have it again three or four or five episodes of depression i still think in the future definitely will be cured and we have uh, lots of examples in our practice where uh, treating a a uh, depressive illness uh, is is a 12-month medication uh, work on lifestyle change, work on uh, the, the, the cognitive behavioral therapy and, and go off medicine and, and do wonderfully. And then if they have a second episode, I think uh, it used to be that we said, okay, we're going to treat another 12 months. But now most people are more aggressive. If you're having recurrent episodes, for a lot of people, life is just better with a little medication. Yeah, I agree with the doc. I mean, if some of these lifestyle changes are made, uh, that can have a big effect. But you know, there's a reason that um, the exercise industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. So, and that's one part of it. 
Um, one easy thing I think can be people taking more vitamin D. Uh, ask your doctor about vitamin D deficiency, for instance. Uh, being aware that uh, illness like the flu can affect your mood significantly. Uh, and that's because of uh, inflammation, uh, chemicals in your body that actually, you know, they reach your brain and they can have effects. That's 20-year-old research. So that would be a huge improvement, I think. Lifestyle and dietary changes probably would make a big improvement on people's lives. So then I have to ask the question, and and I mean it in the, without being sarcastic or being um, anything of that kind, but... There are some people who are pessimists who go through the world with the glass half empty. There are people who, you know, you say are the Debbie Downers of the world who kind of bring the whole mood down of a party and are just their their personality. Is that depression or is that just, you know, is there that tie between the two? Because we all know the minute I said those two things, you both smiled. So you all, there are pictures in your brain of people who fit those descriptions. Sure. I have an argument with other <laughs> physicians about this all the time, and I will say that interpreting things negatively and being pessimistic, thinking it's protective, there's data to show that it actually is more likely to make you depressed. So keep pushing it, but you know, do a little research first because it's not going to help anybody around you either. So, oh yeah, I think I think that there are uh, the pessimists of the world, or the or the uh, people who have just chronic low grade depression uh, throughout their life. They're just not happy people. And and uh, try as we might, and try as they might, and their family might. I think uh, that's a lifelong uh, condition for most people. Yeah, if you have double depression, if you have severe chronic depression, I'm, I'm not going to be judgmental about that. But it, but if the attitude is nothing's going to get fixed, and you know, I mean, there is such thing as a nocebo effect in mental health. We talk about the placebo effect all the time, and it's sort of a good problem to have because it shows that. Uh, you know, sometimes just waiting, somebody uh, grouping in a study, just waiting and doing whatever they normally do, uh, depression improves uh, 40 to 50 percent of the time, 55 percent of the time compared to the medicine, which may be 70 or 80 percent of the time, maybe, although that could be after nine months. And then that's sort of the natural course of a depressive, depressive episode. So I wouldn't say that, uh, you know, you go to the person with double depression, chronic depression that's been hospitalized 10 times and say, suck it up. It's just uh, the way you look at things has an effect. And that's not just psych psychotropic medication. That's other medication, too. A negative view of uh, treatment hurts treatment directly. Your brain is inside your body. Do you feel like we're making great strides, though? I feel like we talk a lot more about depression, and people can joke about it, and people can <clears throat> admit to it and uh, with more frequency. I mean, we talk about there's still a huge stigma for mental illness, but I feel like between anxiety and depression, like, you know, people will joke about how much Prozac they have to take or that sort of thing. And, I, and sometimes, in my mind, if you're willing to make jokes about it, normalizes it. It normalizes it. Puts it, people it at ease. Yeah. Yes, I think we're making big strides. Yes. I would agree. We're we're making great strides. I've been doing this now for well over thirty years, and and the medications that have come along, and the improvements of the medication, and the combination or additional uh, add-on medication, and 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 the the fact that that there is much greater acceptance to look at non-medication routes uh, for treatment, whether it's therapy or uh, the other things we've talked about. Uh, people are much more willing to do things to feel better. 
Yeah, and it's incorporating a lot of things. You look at the third wave mindfulness-based therapy, which is started from Marshall Linehan, uh, dialectical behavior therapy that has a very good success rate. It's actually one of the uh, few psychotherapies that directly reduces suicide risk. And acceptance and commitment therapy, which comes out of uh, heroin abuse, uh, substance abuse treatment out of Reno, but also it's been endorsed by the Veterans Hospital. And mindfulness-based cognitive therapy that uses some mindfulness, uh, incorporates it into the treatment, which is experiential, a lot of uh, skills that you build that help. Uh, uh, I will say, consider the fact that in about 1986, uh, medication options, I could be getting this wrong, but I think it's prior to 1988. So say 1986, if you're getting treated for major depressive disorder, your options are uh, a medicine that if you take a few too many, you have an arrhythmia and die from a heart attack. Or if you eat the wrong kind of cured meat, sausage, oh or, or red wine, you'll have a stroke from uh, malignant hypertension. And and then Prozac rolls along, and your biggest concern is 40% of people get erectile dysfunction. So I don't know. depends on who you are. It seems like a generally an improvement. Well, that's optimistic. That's a good way to end it on some optimistic note. You guys, thank you so much for giving some really thoughtful consideration for people. I hope that they took take enough takeaways that they can apply it in their lives, apply it to the people that they know around them, and, and they can kind of be aware, because I think we all just need to be more aware and thoughtful about this subject. And people can be optimistic, I think. Yeah, yeah and I think that, that uh, people listening to this, if they, if they recognize themselves in uh, a depressed mood or their family members, uh, that, again, back to the, want to normalize that and say, that is as treatable as hypertension or diabetes or other health issues you guys i'm hoping that people will reach out and get help if they need it that's what we hope matt and bill thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time thank you thanks a parkville media production the information shared in this podcast is for informational purposes only the views and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the presenters and do not represent the thoughts, advice, or opinions of the Metro Omaha Medical Society. The information contained in this podcast should not serve as the basis for any medical treatment and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical advice. Before making changes to your health care plan or a loved one's, always consult with a health care professional.